This is our preparations for prayer and fasting. Um, and I need to get a Kleenex because I have the, I may cry in this talk. You know how that goes. And then if I'm crying and I'm sniveling, Joan's going to feel like I've got to get her a Kleenex. She doesn't even know she's like dripping. <laughs> Which I appreciate people who notice the odd things. I want to uh, t talk today starting in Acts 2. Uh, in Acts, no, Acts 13, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 13. It's talking about the church at Antioch, and it's describing there was this, the church at Antioch. There were five ministers there. Paul was one of them. And so they were there with the believers. They were with the body of believers. And uh, there were teachers among those five. They were called in the scripture teachers and prophets. And the scripture says that if you read, some translations will just say, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. And uh, the tense of the verb there is not past tense. It's aorist in the Greek. And it is as they were ministering to the Lord and as they were fasting. The Spirit spoke to them. And so we're going into a time of fasting and prayer. And the reason we're doing fasting and prayer, A, is that Jesus said, when the bridegroom is gone from you, ascended into heaven, then you're going to fast. So that's good enough. That's a command. But because the scripture tells the wonderful things that happened when the church would come together and pray and when they would give themselves to prayer, as they ministered to the Lord and they fasted, the Spirit said. And this ministering, as they were ministering, is a word, it's in the Old Testament, it talks about um, the ministers in the house of God. The Apostle John on Patmos described us as kings and priests to God. So the church, are, we're priests to God. In the Old Testament, when they said that those who ministered to the Lord, you didn't just minister to the Lord. You had to be set apart to minister to the Lord in the Old Testament. So this is the framework that the people are, are living in, that people who ministered to the Lord were priests and Levites, sons of Aaron, and they, were, and they also were Levites that were singers and players on instruments. And so this is ministering to the Lord. And so what is it that, when you think about ministering, I'm going to minister. We think about what we're going to, I'm going to give Mike Bracken a word of prophecy. <laughs> He's ready to hear that. I'm going to minister to... Uh, Mary Taylor. I'm going to minister to Carol Eilerman. I'm going to minister. We think about it ministering to people because it's a service. Ministering is service. And so we think of it as serving people. But when we think of serving the Lord, we think we're serving, of serving people first. What you want me to do? What you want me to do? What you want me to do? But I want us to just consider this for a few minutes. Uh, the scripture tells us in the Old Testament that to minister 
was to be attentive like a waiter. And the people who ministered in the house of the Lord, who were those priests and people who ministered, they stood in the house of the Lord, who stand by night. Psalm 134 says, Bless the Lord, you ministers of his, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless him, who stand by night which by night stand in the house of the Lord, to stand before Jehovah in the Old Testament, ministering to the Lord. To stand before Jehovah was the regular term used for priestly and Levitical work. Deuteronomy 10, verse 8. I'm going to give you some verses. Then in the New Testament, moving over to the New Testament, Hebrews 10, verse 11 says, in Hebrews 10, 11, Every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices that can never take away sins. Hebrews is talking about the Old Testament ministering to the Lord. These people ministered in the house of the Lord. They stood till their duty came, and then they performed their duty, and they ministered about these blood sacrifices or grain sacrifices or wine sacrifices. Every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices that can never take away sins. But this man, capital M, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting until his enemies were made his footstool. And for one offering, he, by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days. This is where we are. This is where we stand. I'll put my laws in their hearts. And in their minds, I will write my laws. And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. What is the one thing the enemy likes to do to you? He likes to make you remember your sins and your lawless deeds. You did this, you did that. There's no blah, 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 blah. That is what he, the enemy does. But the Father says, in Christ, after this sacrifice has been offered... I will put my laws in their heart. I'll write it in their mind. And their sins and their lawless deeds, I will not remember those anymore. Now, where there's remission of these, there's no longer an offering for sin. So what do we do? It's ministering to the Lord. What do we have to offer? What can we... We're called priests to God. We stand in the house of the Lord. We are his priest on the earth, standing before him to minister to him. But we can't offer sacrifices. And trust me, if you try to like be a flagellante and beat your body till you bleed and you're just a helpless, pitiful looking thing, you've so emaciated yourself, crawling up the steps to give an offering or whatever kind of emaciating thing you could do to your own flesh, that would never ever move the heart 
of God to wash one sin away. The blood of Jesus Christ has already taken away the sins of the whole world. You are washed. You are clean by his blood. You are raised up in him and his life is in you today. So what do we do? So if we don't have any sacrifices to offer, no cows to kill, uh, you know, so I say no chickens, but they didn't do chickens, they did turtle death. Uh, no cows to slaughter, no blood to gather, no messy thing to burn. What do we do? There's no longer an offering that we can make for sin. So what do the priests in the New Testament do? The scripture tells us in Hebrews, let us offer. Do you remember what it tells us to offer? There's two things it tells us to offer. Let us offer continually the sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. Hallelujah. I, listen, I was listening to some, I don't remember who it was, some person that I cycled through in the night. I said, if you don't have faith for what God is going to do, if you don't have faith for what's something you're asking God to do, you don't have faith for what God is going to do, the way you get to that is not by yelling, I have faith, I have faith, I have faith. Start giving him the fruit of your lips in thanksgiving for what he has already done. Let the testimony of what he has already done in your life. Well, he hasn't done it. Well, he's done something. Or you wouldn't be trying to pray and figure it out or come up with some faith. Thank him for what he has done. And that thanksgiving is the sacrifice that you have to offer him. And those, that offering of praise, the sacrifice of praise, the thanksgiving, the fruit of your lips is pleasing to him. And so what they were doing when they were ministering to the Lord and fasting... They were doing this thing continually. Like the people had done in the book, in uh, Acts 2. They were waiting there, ministering to the Lord, thanking Him, giving Him the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. And so that was their task, that was their job. And as we give Him thanks for what He has done, our faith level increases for what He's going to do and what he wants to do in your life. It wakes up your real heart. I love what Kathy shared. Because she shared, she was whining. I'm a whine, I can be a whiner. And she was whining, oh, I'm feeling sorry. And I just, well, I'm sorry, I'm acting like a baby here. And I can just hear the spirit, the tone of his precious voice. Yeah, but you're my baby. <laughs> well, that turned her heart from a whine to a thanksgiving, to a praise. To turn yourself from focusing on what you don't have to focusing on what he's done, even if it's just a small thing. You think, how are you going to do this? This is huge, God. How are you going to accomplish it? Think of each one thing at a time 
and give thanks for the things he has done. And your level of faith will rise. That is what we do, standing before the, the Lord as priests of God. So as we come to pray this week, in the different times we come to pray, and when you're praying in your private time, turn yourself from worry, fear. What has he done? Thank him for what he has done. And turn your attention on a sacrifice of praise, because that's your job. That is your job. If you were a Levite, you couldn't say, I don't think I'm going to kill this cow today. That's your job, man. Kill that cow. Get the blood. Sprinkle it. Do what you're supposed to do. Wash yourself up. Burn that thing. And so our job is thanksgiving. Our job is to stand before him and hear him. The word, words imply that the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving were held in the temple uh, at night. These were words in 1 Chronicles 9.33. It says that the Levites pr were offering praise and, and thanksgiving through the night, day and night. 1 Chronicles 9.33 says the Levites were offering song, praise, thanksgiving, day and night. Day and night. They had charge of the house of the Lord, and they had it in the day, and they had it in the night. They had, in the Old Testament, they, they prayed around the clock. They didn't pray at convenience. They prayed continually. When David set up the tabernacle on Mount Zion and put the Ark of the Covenant in that, he established praisers, worshipers, thanksgiving people, scribes to record what God had done. They were like writing down what God had done. They had scribes, but they didn't do that nine to five. I'm in the Levite Union. And we just petitioned that our work hours might be reduced. We wanted like a 30-hour work week, God. <laughs> we don't want to be open at night. It's not good for people to work uh, graveyard shifts and that sort of thing. We've got the data for that now. We know that's hard on the body. And uh, so blah, blah, blah. Nope. Day and night that the sacrifice of praise and the offering is going to God day and night. So after they were, or not after, but while they were ministering to the Lord in thanksgiving and praise and prayer, they're just before the Lord ministering to Him. Their focus is on Him and what He has done. While they're doing that, the Spirit said something. Now, one of the reasons we fast and pray is, as Jimmy said, so not so God will hear us. You know, he hears everything you say, even if it's stupid. Even if you're laying in your bed saying, I'm just really feeling awful here, like, I've got this thing now, I've got the stomach, by God. And he was, he's like listening, because he hears us. Nothing escapes him. He hears us. But fasting makes us free from the encumbrances of the flesh and the course of life that causes us not to be able to hear him, where we're distracted or um, we're just not broken 
because fasting breaks the flesh. How many of you love to fast? I love to think of it. Oh, God, no food, five days. I'll tell you how I quit smoking. I could not quit smoking. I smoked like a train. And I love to smoke. I still dream sometimes that I'm a smoker. I think I might have been 27 or something like that. And anyway, I had a gift of prophecy, and I was anointed in the Word. And so I would, on Thursday nights, I think it was, we had uh, church, and I would occasionally have a prophecy, but I smoked. And so I don't know, I guess Ann Fletcher or Judy or Pastor, somebody delivered a word to me like, you need to quit smoking if you're going to be prophesying here. Uh, you need to cleanse yourself of this, you know. I mean, at that point in time, we were like, being very, very careful people about every little thing. You know, that's how you are with your first children. <laughs> then you get your second or third kid. And like, uh, I remember Amy saying to me one time, I can't believe what you let David do. Jimbo and I had lived in a hell how strict you were. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, well, okay. But anyway, you, you, but in that day, we were like, whoa, real intense. I'm like, oh, God, how am I going to... I tried everything. I'd buy a pack of cigarettes. Back then, they cost a quarter. How cool is that? Anybody in here that smokes, you know that's like, whoa, man, a quarter for a pack of cigarettes? Um, and so I'd buy a pack of cigarettes. I'd smoke one. Then I'd think, oh, gosh, I can't do this. I'd throw them out the window. I guess uh, the homeless people love me, I'm sure. <laughs> but I would just throw them out the window. And then two hours, two hours later, I would go buy another pack, smoke one, say, I can't do this, oh God, have mercy on me, throw it out the window. Then two hours later, I'd buy another. I mean, I was doing this like, so then finally, I was like, oh, I'm desperate, I can't, can't get this done. So I fasted. I read a scripture in Corinthians that don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Purge out that old leaven so you may be a new lump. And so I read that scripture, and I thought, okay, I'm going to fast. I fasted three days. I did not eat. I just drank water, but I smoked. Because <laughs> I could not smoke. That's before we knew that, to back, that nicotine is addictive to your peripheral muscles. There's an idea, you will go crazy when you don't have it. So, I mean, they, back then they were telling us all kinds of stuff of how it wasn't dangerous. Um, but anyway, I fasted three days. I didn't eat, just drank water, and I smoked. At the end of the third day, when I got to the end of the third day, I began to weep. I mean, like a, like a person who needed to be taken into the, e, to the, to the ER. I could not stop crying. I cried, I cried, I cried. I travailed, I cried. I could not stop crying. I cried probably another two days where I just cried. Cried, 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 cried. And when I got to the end of this travailing cry, I quit smoking. I never touched it again. Now, what that was, was the breaking of my flesh 
in the fasting gave my spirit an upper hand on an addiction in me. I think it's the coolest thing. And so that's one of the reasons fasting is so good for you because it gives the spirit the upper hand. Because there's nothing that depicts the power of the flesh quite like an addiction of any kind. It's like, uh, no, you will not make your own decisions. I'm in charge here. Um, But anyway, so they're fasting. And so at the end of those fasting days, the Spirit spoke, and He completely set me free. I did, however, eat so many Snickers bars (laughs) that I gained 30 pounds in a very short order. But then again, I was like 105 pounds, so I I could probably have stood those 30 pounds. But anyway, that, but the Spirit spoke. And so that breaking of the flesh will draw the Spirit up out of us, breaking the thing that keeps Him stuffed down and keeps our ears full of demands and, and fleshly cries that drown out His voice. Well, Lord, what are you going to say when you speak to me? Go to Africa. I don't know what he's going to say. You know, Bible school students torture other Bible school students by hiding in their closets and speaking, Go to Asia. <laughs> so try to, try to make the Bible school students think, They're hearing from God out of the wall. But anyway, I want to give you some examples of how the Spirit Spirit speaks. You know, the Spirit spoke to the Father, heaven. Jesus spoke. God, I mean, not Jesus. Uh, Spoke to Jesus three times in an audible voice. In the New Testament, in the Gospels, God speaks three times in an audible voice. So I'm going to read you these scriptures and tell you what he had to say when he spoke three times in an audible voice. At Jesus' baptism, it came to pass in those days that Jesus came up from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw heaven parting and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And then a voice came out of heaven, an audible voice. You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. The second time the Father spoke to Jesus, I beg your pardon? That is somewhere in the Bible. (laughs) It's in Mark chapter 1, verse... Oh, I cut and pasted. I did this thing, 10, 11, 9, 10. Try 9. Mark 1, 9, 10, something like that. 9? 9 through 11. Oh, thank you, Marcy. Yes. Uh, so, spoke to him in an audible voice. You're my beloved son, whom I am well pleased. God spoke again. And you know how, what preceded this audible, this voice? What did Jesus do before he was baptized? I mean, not before he was baptized. 
after he was baptized, he goes into the desert. So this precedes God dealing with him in a major way, and he goes into a season of fasting. And it's not coming out of him trying to figure out who he is. Because he heard an audible voice. Have you ever heard an audible voice? I heard an audible voice twice, I think. I've heard an audible voice of God twice. Once I, he lifted me up into heaven and I heard my name called in the most heavenly atmosphere. I heard it sounded like thousands of voices saying, Jane. He didn't call me Barbara. He didn't call me my barbarian first name. He called me Jane, which means the gift of God. And I heard, I heard that. And then one time when I was in great distress, he spoke to me in an audible voice. I have heard. If you hear the voice of God, he doesn't have to get detailed. I can tell you now. So secondly... The second time the audible voice of God came in the Gospels was at the Mount of Transfiguration. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John. They led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves. And when they got up there to go by themselves, now normally when he was taking them somewhere, he's taking them out for a prayer time. You know how this goes. Jesus would go somewhere to pray. He didn't pray normally in his normal surrounding. He would go somewhere. He would go out somewhere, go up somewhere. He'd put himself someplace. And so here he is, go, taking them up on the mountain. And when they get apart by themselves, Jesus was just transfigured in front of them. His clothes became glistening, exceedingly white, like snow, like no launderer on the earth could ever wash them. And Elijah appeared to him there, and so did Moses. And they were talking to Jesus, and Peter was like amazed, oh, my God, what a church service. <laughs> this prayer meeting beats any prayer meeting I've ever been in. Peter answered and said to Jesus, uh, Rabbi, it's, it's good we're here. We'll make a little house for this. We'll build a little tabernacle here for y'all. For us here, actually. Let's memorialize this with a tabernacle. And so they're proposing to build something for God, pretty much like David did when the prophet came to him and said, no, forget that idea. So they're proposing they're going to build something for God. And when they're proposing this, a voice came out of heaven. God spoke audibly. This is my son. Listen to him. This is my son. The third time, the audible voice of God came in the Gospels, was at the triumphal entry. Jesus says, Now my soul is troubled, and what am I going to say? Father, save me from this hour. Now he's with people and disciples, and he's burdened, he's troubled. What am I going to say? My soul is troubled. What am I going to say? Father, save me from this hour. 
For this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify thy name. And when Jesus said, Father, glorify thy name, a voice came out of heaven, audible voice again, and said, I have glorified it. I have both glorified it, glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Jesus was asking God to validate, verify something about himself there. So, when the voice came out of heaven saying, I have glorified it and I'll do it again, the people who stood by and heard it, they were just, they thought it thundered or an angel had spoke to him. And Jesus answered and said, this voice didn't come for me. It came for your sake. Now the judgment of this world has come and the ruler of this world is cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. So he said that to them to signify how he was going to die up on a cross. And so these three times that God spoke audibly, he was basically saying, you're mine and I'm proud of you. You're mine, and I'm proud of you. He validated who Jesus was with an audible voice. Three times he did this. You're my son, and I'm proud of you. Jesus did not... I want you all to listen to me. This is so good. I just love what Kathy shared. Jesus did not have to prove himself. Jesus did not have to prove himself. He lived in the light of the approval of the Father in heaven. And he did his will to the death. So he was in the light of the Father's approval. He didn't have to prove him, himself. He didn't have to prove anything about himself. Anytime there was any transition going on, the Father would just speak right out of heaven. You're mine and I'm proud of you. You're my son. You're my boy. You're my baby. Jesus walked in the intimacy of a son with a father. He didn't need to hear that voice because he was walking in this intimacy of the son with the father. And walking in that place he knew who he was. He knew where he was going. He said to them when he took the towel, Jesus knowing where he came from and where he was going, he longed to show them the full extent of his love. So he was portraying for us the love of a father's heart. His whole work, what he was doing on the earth, was just saying, my father loves, my father loves. My father loves, look at me, my father loves, my father loves so much he'll sacrifice. And Jesus said to them again, I'm going to go away. So this is after this happens, and he says, I'm going to go away, and you'll seek me, and you're going to die in your sin, but where I'm going, you can't come. And so they said, is he going to kill himself? Now, I just want to point out that while Jesus is talking, walking in this intimacy with the Father and knowing where he's going, what he's going to do, the people around him are clueless. 
about what is going on. And so he's saying, I'm going to go where I'm going. You can't come. And they're like, oh, no, call the hotline. He's, he's made a credible threat. See if he has a plan. Um, and I'm kind of joking, but I, I take those things very seriously. If you follow me on Facebook, you'll see me put up occasionally about suicide awareness. Take people seriously. Don't believe it when somebody says to you, when somebody threatens to kill themselves, they'll never do it. That is not true. That is not true. But anyway, so I'm talking about this situation right here, and I'm certainly not making light in any way of the desperation that brings a person to the point of wanting to die. I've been there. I would never make light of that. But they were clueless. They didn't understand what he was saying. Is he going to kill himself? I believe he is. Sounds like he's going to off himself. And he said to them, you're from beneath, I'm from above. Pretty much he's saying to them, you're clueless. I am, I'm in another plane and I know uh, who I am and where I'm going and you guys are clueless. And so then they, he says to them, you don't believe that I am he. So you're going to die in your sins. And so then they say to him, well, who are you? He's been there ministering and been with them. Well, who are you? He's getting ready. He's, the triumphal entry has happened. He's entered into Jerusalem on the donkey's back. The prophecies have, have been fulfilled that your king is coming, riding on the colt of a donkey, and they were throwing the palms down and everything. And after this, then they're saying, well, who are you? Because they really thought he was going to set up an earthly kingdom that they could see, and they would all get to be powerful in. And Jesus said to them, just what I've been saying to you from the beginning. I've got a lot of things to say to you guys. He who sent me is true. And I speak to the world those things which I have heard from him. But they did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. So when Jesus is living out his life, walking out his life, being in prayer, listening to the Father, doing what the Father tells him to do, he's doing all of that so we can see how to live with the Heavenly Father. That is his point. That was his point. And they were missing it on every turn. So the people didn't understand this intimate relationship he had with the Father. And they... Uh, and he did always the things that pleased the Father. That was Jesus' testimony. I do always the things that please him. Now, how many of you could say today, I do always the things that please the Father in heaven? That's the goal. That's where he's taking us. He's taking us to an intimacy where we will be close to him, we'll hear his heartbeat, we'll know what's pleasing to him, and we'll have the broken-hearted desire to do always the things that are pleasing to him. And that's what fasting begins to draw us more and more to. So we're going into prayer and fasting. We want God to hear us. And we want God to testify of his love for us. 
We want him to testify of his love for us in ways that other people can hear it. So what do you do? Practically, what do we do? Going into prayer and fasting. If we want to be someone who hears. I'm not saying that in prayer and fasting an audible voice is going to come to you. That, that's not the point. I'm saying that God spoke out of heaven and that he will speak to us in prayer and fasting. What to do? Number one, make a place. Luke chapter 11 verse 1 says, And Jesus was praying in a certain place. So practically speaking, make a place. Make a place for prayer. Whatever it is, if it's a room in your house, if it's in your car, if it's a certain spot in your house, put yourself in a place where you can get from the distractions of the other things around you and put yourself in a certain place and say, this is my place. This is my place for prayer. Jesus was praying in a certain place. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this, go to your room. Now, in the Greek... This verse where it says, go, go to your room, shut the door, the Father will see you, that is not how it reads in Greek. It's got the pronoun your four times in this verse. Jesus was praying, he said, go to your room, shut your door, and your secret Father will see you there, and your Father will reward you out in front of people. So he uses, it's yours. You're my baby. And you're my father. It's not just take ownership of it. The, to me, using the pronoun your and using it four times is saying, this is your responsibility. Find a place. Make it a place of prayer. It's where I'm going to go. It's your place. Be able to shut your door to that. Take responsibility for the shutting of the door. And then realize that when you have chosen a place and shut the door and shut out the distractions of things around you, your secret father will see you there. It doesn't say he hears you there. It says he sees you. He sees that you took responsibility for your place shutting your door, and that you believe that he is your father, and that your father is seeing you there in that secret place, and not just seeing you in the secret place, that your father, it may not be an audible voice thundering out of heaven, but your father will publicly say, you're mine. You're mine and I'm proud of you. He will publicly reward you, whatever the reward. I don't know what the reward might be the answer to the longing of your heart. I have no idea. But the thing is, we cannot, the scripture says, he who comes to God must believe, A, that he is, and B, that he is a rewarder. So we're not doing prayer and fasting for a spiritual like activity. We're doing this for the Father who sees to reward and to reward openly. For the Father who sees to speak, that we can hear his voice more clearly, and say to him, I am yours, and I want to please you in everything. You know, the best, the thing that makes children be obedient is not how much you can scare them with a switch. 
uh, my mother, man, she, had a, she would get a switch off of a forsythia bush. Have you? Oh, she would, I can just see her now. Oh, my goodness. I would have done something crazy awful because I was like an oppositional defiant kid. So I, she, I can just see her now stripping those leaves off of that forsythia switch. If you know anything about a forsythia bush, it's these little yellow flowers out here. Every time I come to church, I can see that keen switch. <laughs> She'd strip those leaves off of it, and those things are, they bend. She would switch my legs, and, and the forsythia switch would just wrap around my legs, and I'd scream, yell, carry on, go do it again. And so, but the thing that causes whatever you do to train a child, what makes it work, is that the child wants to please you. So the first thing you do in training children or being trained as a Christian in God or discipling people is to let the affection of the heart go toward the Father or let there has be heart affection that desires to please. And if you have heart affection that desires to please, I can tell you one thing. You can... We have a dog at our house. We talk about training something. We have a dog at our house. Uh, we got... Well, we have several dogs. <laughs> But we have Max. Max is like aloof. He's in his own world. I can't decide whose personality he's got. He's too aloof to have a personality like Jimmy, so it must be me. Um, anyway, you can correct Max. He can go out the garage and, and you say, Come back, Max. Come on, Max. Come on, Maxie. Time to come in, Maxie. And he turns around. He doesn't just run across the street, he doesn't just run. He doesn't run until he turns around and looks at you. He turns around and he looks, and then he bolts. Well, no matter what we ever do to that dog, it's just that way that dog goes. Then we have this other little dog, Bear. You can raise your voice, and he, he wants to please. He has this... Well, Max probably does too, but he's just an odd little dog. I mean, he's part Rottweiler. What can you do? They say they're stubborn. But this little bear, he is the slightest sense that somebody's not pleased with him. And he is cowering, and he's like, oh my God, so sensitive. I want to have such a heart toward God that I'm sensitive to him. That he doesn't have to hit me with a board to get my attention to, to do something or to serve him. That with his eye, like you have a child that you can just give him the eye. I've seen parents like give a kid an eye and they go, whoa, okay. I'm like, well, I wonder what's behind that eye. <laughs> uh, so I want to be led by the heart, by affection and by the eye. And so, shut that door. Four times it says, your, your room, your door, your father in secret, your father in public. Once you get that place, because we're going to be praying corporately too, but this is prayer and fasting, so make us time, make time, find a place, make time for you alone. You've got to be in front of Father in secret. Wait for the promise there. 
The people in the book of Acts chapter 2, they waited. They went to a room. They found a place. They were in a place, and in that place they waited. I, th- I don't know what they did. They might have cried and said, I'm, I'm acting like a baby here. We don't know all the things that they did while they were waiting there. But Acts chapter 2 says this of them while they waited. They waited for the promise there in that spot that they made for themselves. But God spoke something to me this week that is amazing and wonderful to me out of this verse. I've never seen this before. The Spirit filled the room before He filled the people. I never, I sometimes feel like I can sense the Lord in a room. But oh my gosh, he filled the room before he filled the people. This was how the progression of it went. They're waiting there in that place, secret place there, in the place where they set apart a place, and there they are waiting. And then all of a sudden, a sound came, and the sound filled the room. That's the Spirit. He came and he filled the room with this sound. And then after that sound came that filled the room, so that he filled the room, they looked and they saw pillars of fire. They began to hear things in the room. They saw things in the room. And then after they heard him filling the room and seeing the pillars of fire, then they, lastly, were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they were filled. And so he said, well, what's the point of having a place? What's the point of sanctifying a spot? What's the point of gathering in a prayer meeting? Let's all just scope ourselves in. <laughs> let's, just, let's just FaceTime prayer. I mean, you could do that. That's fine. But uh, let's have a place. I can tell you now we're going to have a place. God is going to sanctify a place. And in that place, he is going to so fill us with his spirit that it will glisten. It literally will be a glistening thing. It will be, oh, last year in the prayer and fasting, he said to me the word sparkle. There will be a sparkle that comes in this season because the Spirit is going to fill the room. Then he's going to open our eyes to see in the Spirit. And he's going to fill us with the Holy Spirit. I can't remember when it was. Uh, Sunday before last, I think, or it might have been last Sunday. I don't remember when it was in the service, what point, what time. I think I was standing here, so it would have been, I guess, at the end. I heard. I heard the sound of a string, like an orchestra tuning like a deep cello-type string. I heard it in this room. I heard it with my ears. I looked around. I thought, what is Sam doing? I'm like, what's going on? I heard the sound of a, of a string tuning or a, a deep string sound. I, I said the thing about string tuning. When the Lord lifted me up into heaven... 
on Highway 75 in Blountville, Tennessee, right behind the home of the man who sold Shekinah this land, where he visited me. I bought my house from the same guy that they bought the land from. I didn't know anything about Shekinah. I was, not, I was like living like hell. I mean, I wasn't like living for God. He visited me. Oh, Lord, he delivered me, and then he came and lifted me up into heaven, and I heard music. I heard the sound of heaven. And that sound that I heard, it just came suddenly. I heard a sound. I heard a sound. Someone else said to me, I heard a sound in the service. Did you hear that sound? Someone else heard that sound. I wasn't the only one who heard the sound. Now I'm telling you that to say this. We can be people that just live like the turkey scratching around on the earth. Or we can be like Jesus who said, I'm not of this world. And you don't have a clue because you're not willing to let yourself think from the other world. When those people received the Holy Spirit, supernatural things happened. It wasn't something they did through their own works and what they did. The Spirit of the living God walked in. He came among them. He filled the room. Then he filled the people. And so when we're going into prayer and fasting, we're not just, well, we're going to pray and fast. We're going to do this thing. We do it every year. It doesn't really matter if I go or not because same people pray every time. They pray the same prayers. Well, that's not necessarily wrong. Only that's going to be different. We're not going to live a life where the same people pray every time. We're going to throw ourselves in. Come on. We're going to throw in and we're going to encourage people and the children are going to pray. We're going to have all ages and all kinds of people because everybody prays. So, well, I don't, I don't pray. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. If you go out of here and a cement truck starts coming straight towards your car, I guarantee you're going to be praying strong. People that don't even know God or think they know anything about God, pray. It is the native language of psychologist, I think his name is Brenner, said, from Canada, said that prayer is the native tongue of the soul. Prayer is the native tongue of the soul. So as we start this process and we go into our prayer and fasting, we're setting in motion a world where more and more of God will be coming to our hearts and to us as a people. Where we'll be hearing and going into the nations. Our hearts will be being burdened by the works and the things of the nations. We'll be hearing in ways we haven't heard before. So I'm going to ask you to stand. And as we close, here's what I want to do today. Does anybody know if it's rained in Australia? It has rained. Hallelujah. Then we're going to thank the Lord for the rain in Australia. Because I said to the Lord, Lord, your church, surely Jesus, we can turn this inferno from, the, from Australia. Thank you, Father, for the rain in Australia. We stand, we're the priest of God. We're standing the minister. 
We stand and we say thank you for the rain in Australia and bring it on, Father. Wash that island nation with your goodness. Pour your spirit on the nation of Australia. We pray for every person who has lost their home, those who have lost their family members and loved ones, those who have uh, suffering physically from the smoke inhalation and all the horrors of all of this, the fear of it, the dread of it. I'm asking you, Father, we lift up our hands like priests did in the sanctuary in the Old Testament. And in this New Testament day, we stand as your ministers, Lord, and thank you. We give you the sacrifice of praise right now that it has rained in Australia. We give you praise. We thank you for it. We praise you, Lord. We give you praise. 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 Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Now, Lord, we ask you for the Middle East. We lift up the wars and rumors of wars and the trouble and the threats and the darkness that has stirred in the Middle East. And we lift our hands up as priests to our God and we say, Father, Father, intervene. Do what you do, Lord. Do what you do, Lord. We lift up to you, Father. Oh, God, we pray for the ministers, the pastors, the Christians in Iran. We call on your name for the, the Christians in Iran. We ask you, Lord, do what you do, Lord, to deliver them, to save them, to help them, to breathe on them in Iran, in Iraq, in those areas. Lord, we pray for the church there. We pray you will do wonders. We pray you'll speak out of heaven. We pray you'll show yourself strong on behalf of those that are your secret ones. Be their secret father today and openly, publicly reward. And let the life of the Holy Spirit be manifested there. In Jesus' name, we pray. We pray for the young people there. We pray for the children. We pray for the sons. Oh, God. We pray for the sons that are destined to die in these things. We pray life of the Holy Spirit. Intervene and do what you do, Lord. We pray like mothers and fathers that don't want to see their children die in battle. And we pray, Father. We stand and take our place. We are your priest in this earth. And our duty and our responsibility is to the whole world. You died for the sins of the whole world. You put the nations in our heart, Lord. And we call on your name today and we ask you to do your wonders. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Hari, Hari alehi, namehi alahi alehi. Anani, hehehe, luhuhehi. Hallelujah. Oh, Papi, I want to pray for the Christians in India. 
Come on, let's pray. We pray. We ask you for the Christians in India today. We pray about the moving of your Holy Spirit. Show yourself strong. Speak out of heaven. Deliver and save and set captives free. And we pray, Lord, that every spirit of oppression that would rise up against your church in India, that you will put it to shame by your precious blood, by your name. Let the life of your Holy Spirit be manifested there. Yes, Lord. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We lift the Amer- they're Americans, and they're s- they've sent a whole slew more. Uh, let's, li- let's lift the American soldiers in Iraq. The ones that are f- in forward positions... Those that are going to be defending this embassy, Lord, we just pray that we lift uh, the American soldiers that are in Iraq, and we ask you to defend them. Lord, I know when Jimbo went into Iraq in whatever year it was, 91 or 2, whatever year it was, you spoke a verse to me that you would give your angels charge over him, and you spared him a horrible thing that happened. And I thank you, Lord. We pray your verses over the, the American soldiers that are there in Iraq. And we pray you will defend them. Do what you do, Lord. Let there be amazing stories from any kind of skirmish, battle, war, whatever, where God delivered, God defended. There was a cloud. There was a voice. There was a sound. Lord, we ask you. We ask you. We ask you today, we ask you as your priest standing here ministering, and we give you thanks. 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 Poppy, poppy, poppy. We pray over Kuwait. We pray over this region. Lord, though the prince of Persia is roaring, my God, how great you are. My God, how great you are. How great, how great you are. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. How great you are.